Today is Tuesday, August 29th, 2023. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. The date for Trump's trial has been set, and it is directly before a huge event. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast, where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Subscribe and leave a rating. Email us, quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. We'd love to hear from you. We're all getting through the news of the cray here. Do I go at it alone? I mean, it's a crazy world out there. Let's go at it together. Today is Tuesday. Joining me now, Trey Gons Phillips. Uh, Trey, uh, Billy's having a planes, trains, and automobiles type situation here. Unfortunately, caught up in the storm travel chaos that's going on right now. He's making the journey back home, but not home yet. So we're hoping to have him back. Uh, tomorrow but for now it's trey and i how's it going trey happy tuesday you know at least i'm not joining you from like the flight bridge or something <laughs> where billy would would yeah. be joining us if he was on the podcast so yeah live from the tarmac billy hallowell yeah there you go um, we were talking offline about how somebody mentioned trains planes and automobiles and it's of course a great steve martin john candy movie but today it like wouldn't work it wouldn't work at all. He could have just got an Uber. The youth today won't understand that movie, I'm afraid. Nevertheless, it's a good movie. So even Great if movie, the, uh, yeah. the modes of transportation haven't held up, I think the humor has. I think I think you're right. Coming up on the podcast today, without further ado, on the main thing, we got a couple accusing Massachusetts of discriminating against their fate. We'll have that story. And also coming up on the focus story, a Canadian woman with severe depression went to the hospital for help but she didn't get what she thought. We're talking euthanasia here. This is crazy stuff. We'll have all that coming up, but first we are going to get through the news here in 90 seconds. Former President Donald Trump's trial date has been set, and it's going to be smack in the middle of the GOP primary voting season. It's going to begin precisely one day before Super Tuesday. This one pertaining to the allegations Trump conspired to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Trump pleaded guilty separately to all 37 felony charges out of Jack Smith's classified records probe. That one's set to take place May 20th, 2024. Meanwhile, President Biden's also undergoing special counsel investigation for his alleged improper retention of classified records. After a slight rise in COVID cases in just some regions, Joe Biden requested additional funding for a new vaccine and said it will likely be recommended that everybody get it, no matter whether they've gotten it before or not. Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre said this. There'll be an updated vaccine September, mid-September, I believe. So uh, we know that, as you all know, vaccinations against COVID-19 remains the safest protection for avoiding hospitalization, long-term health outcomes and death, which is why we are, we are going to be encouraging uh, Americans to stay up to date on their vaccines. And a troubling trend is emerging in the world's largest democracy. Millions of Indians believe the country belongs to Hindus and that all other religions, including Christianity and Islam, must be eliminated from society. CBN's George Thomas has a stunning report. It'll be in the description of this podcast episode. Those are just some of today's top headlines. For more, you can check out CBNnews.com. First of all, let's just talk about the Trump date. I mean, this is pretty crazy that it's going to be smack dab in the middle of Super Tuesday. If you had any doubts that this was politically motivated, I think they've been, it has been confirmed at this point. Right. This I mean, is the 100%. coincidences, yeah, the coincidences are 
certainly adding up and it's hard to not question it. it. Right. Yeah. You've got to at least say, hey, what's going on here? Why would they want this right in the middle of a huge voting day? I mean, it's and if it's any indication as to how it'll play out these past times when he got indicted, he went up in the polls. So we'll see if that trend continues, then Trump should be getting a big surge just before the election day hits for many, many states. So that'll be really interesting. So, all right, we're going to head over to the focus story now. And a Canadian woman with severe depression went to the hospital for help, but she didn't get the kind of help she thought she should get. What happened here? Yeah, this story, honestly, Dan, is just infuriating because there are so many people who would I would assume in this culture we have now where you know physician assisted suicide euthanasia is unfortunately becoming more and more commonplace yeah. not totally commonplace in the United States though there are some states that do allow it um, but it's becoming more common uh, in European countries and of course in Canada so her name is Catherine Mentler. Uh, she's only 37 years old. She went to Vancouver General Hospital's Access and Assessment Center in June, she said, uh, saying that she was dealing with intrusive uh, suicidal thoughts and she she wanted help. She has known that she struggled with depression as uh, she's had suicidal ideation in the past, uh, and she figured the the best and safest place for me to be to ensure that I stay alive is to go to a hospital and, and, and seek help from a psychiatrist, from a doctor there on staff. So when she arrived, she said, according to the Christian Institute, uh, that she was promptly informed that there were no beds available for her uh, and that she should expect an extended wait uh, before she would potentially be seen by a psychiatrist. And even at that, it would only be on an outpatient basis because there was essentially uh, no way, allegedly, uh, that they were going to uh, to actually admit her as a patient. So then soon thereafter, she claimed another clinician uh, came up to her and you know was providing some care to her. Uh, and asked her about the country's euthanasia program, which is called MAID. It stands for Medical Assistance uh, in Dying. Uh, that hospital employee, uh, the woman said, claimed or told her uh, that uh, patients have experienced, quote, relief, uh, at, you know, being offered the option to go through the MAID program uh, and suggested maybe you could you could experience the same kind of relief uh, if you went through this program. So it's just stunning to me that this woman seeking help, uh, you know, to not harm herself was put in a situation, uh, again, allegedly, uh, but where the hospital was going to help her harm herself, essentially. Man, imagine that and saying, maybe you can get this relief. I mean, how would you know? Are you going to ask her after she's right. dead? Yeah. I mean, that's insane. So how how is the hospital responding to these claims. Yeah, well, I want to back up here just real quick because I want to say uh, what Mentler said after she okay. went home from the hospital. She said, that made me feel, talking about uh, being offered the MAID program, she said, that made me feel like my life was worthless or that I was a problem that could be solved 
Uh, and then this is what I think is most interesting. I don't know if she's a believer uh, or not, but she said, I live with chronic suicidal thoughts, but that doesn't mean that I never feel joy in my life. And she said she went to the hospital because she wanted to protect that joy and get back to a place uh, of being healthy. So she was kind of stunned by the by the offering uh, herself to begin with. So as far as what the hospital is saying, the Vancouver Medical Center said that they apologized for, quote, any distress that was caused by the clinician's uh, offering of the MAID program to Mentler. Uh, and then the medical center went on to say that the option of euthanasia was actually only presented as a way to determine, it was a barometer, to figure out uh. how at risk was this woman uh, of self-harm. Um, wow. But Mendler didn't really buy that. Uh, she told the Christian Institute that uh, made for mental health is not even legal yet in California. Uh, so, quote, giving someone the specifics of the process seems wrong. How can this be the standard procedure for suicide crisis intervention is what she had to say. What is that? Like We're, we're testing you. It's part of our check process here. We're going to ask you that question. Then the next one is, here's a gun that's loaded. What are you going to do? I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, listen yeah. to what we're doing. I mean, it was somebody who's, it sounded like this person responded well, Trey, that it kind of woke them up to, whoa, wait a minute. What if somebody that confused and that desperate wasn't in that right state of mind and then got that advice? It seems like they'd be encouraging them to go ahead and do it. Well, right. That I think is the, the number one concern. I think the secondary concern is, as I said at the top, it, somebody who's dealing with these kinds of dangerous thoughts, the safest place you should be able to go uh, well, one should be your church, right? If you're a believer, you should, or even not a believer, you should be able to go to a church and, and seek help. But obviously, in many instances, you need medical help. Uh, so you should be able to go to a hospital and know that your life is going to be, they're going to do everything they can to preserve your life, not dangle uh, this option in front of you uh, like candy. It's, it's, terrible to me yeah. uh, that anybody and anybody who's taken a Hippocratic oath would think this is a legitimate option that I should offer them, whether it's as a barometer, as some sort of test or a legitimate offering, why you would ever think that this is a smart thing to offer somebody who's who's admitted to to dealing with suicidal thoughts. Uh, uh, that's that blows my mind. Yeah, it's, it feels like a sick and twisted way to deal with something. Sounds more them just trying to get out of this situation and come up with some excuse as yeah. to why that was offered, and it's not a good one. Where does this program stand right now? So in 2022, the Canadian government, they expanded the MAID program to include non-life-threatening physical disabilities. Initially, it was just for essentially those who are terminally ill, uh, and it was launched several years ago, uh, and then expanded to include non-life-threatening physical disabilities. So again, you still had to have something physically wrong with you. Uh, but then uh, at the beginning of this year, uh, the program was extended yet again uh, to include people suffering with mental disabilities, uh, even people who are dealing with severe depression. Now, uh, we sh should note that that expansion, the final expansion of including people who are dealing with depression, that's been temporar temporarily delayed, but just until 2024 so that they can get their language and their wording right. They're, they're still planning to include people who have suicidal thoughts to, to make this a legitimate option for them. Yeah, really troubling stuff. And I think, unfortunately, you're going to see these sorts of programs spread and reach other places because 
a lot of people, a lot of countries, including ours, are adopting this mindset where you don't really value life and you don't have, in particular, a biblical understanding and worldview of life and valuing life and we're made in the Imago Dei in the image of God. If you don't have that, it's going to lead to dangerous things like this. So appreciate you putting this one on our radar today, Trey. We're going to head over to the main thing now. And a couple is accusing Massachusetts of discriminating against their faith and banning them from participating in the foster care and adoption system due to their biblical beliefs. Will Hahn is senior counsel for Beckett and joined Billy Hallowell for the story on today's Main Thing. I want to thank you for joining me today, and I want to dive right into this case that you are handling. Mike and Kitty Burke, they are suing Massachusetts over the claim that the state will not allow them to foster or adopt due to their religious beliefs. What's going on here? That, uh, Mike and Kitty are a loving couple, and they want to welcome children into their family. They experienced the heartbreak of infertility, and afterwards they decided to become foster parents with the hope of eventually adopting children. They applied through Massachusetts. They went through 30 hours of training, lengthy interviews, home assessments. Their uh, overall family life was scrutinized and reviewed. And despite acknowledging many strengths with them and that they were a lovely couple who really seemed to understand foster and adoption care, ultimately they were denied for one reason and one reason only. Because as the reviewer put it, their faith is not supportive and neither are they referring to whether or not they would, in Massachusetts's words, support and respect and affirm a child's sexual orientation or gender identity. That couldn't be further from the truth. It's unnecessary to conclude that, and it's unconstitutional. You know, it's interesting, as you're saying that, I imagine other issues, which I often do when it comes to these sorts of cases. You know, if a child were coming in, they're, they're not asking questions, I imagine, about religion or other, you know, would you endorse the child's beliefs about this issue or that issue, I would imagine those probably aren't typical questions. Maybe I'm wrong, but why the focus on marriage, sexuality, gender in these in these interviews? Well, I think what you're getting at is that this is a highly discretionary and selective process. And so much of this is left up to whomever is reviewing your application. So the Fact, the factor that was used against the Burks, the support and respecting piece, that's one of 17 different factors that an individual is, determines in his or her own satisfaction whether or not someone meets. And then that can get reviewed and, and checked and maybe even changed down the road. The point is that the First Amendment protects us all from that kind of arbitrary power because that's just an invitation for the government to say, we like these religious beliefs. We don't like those religious beliefs. And so we're going to treat one better than the other. And the free exercise of religion prohibits that. Everyone gets a fair shot to participate in public life in America. It's almost a litmus test here that the government's creating. It sounds like, you know, purporting there are no other issues here. A litmus test that says who can and can't adopt. And right now, because culture has made a decision on these issues that is contrary to this couple they then are ineligible, which, like you're saying, seems to be a First Amendment problem here. How how overt was this, right? You know, was this openly said to them? Was this documented to them? You know, how was that conveyed on these issues of gender and marriage and sexuality? 
I mean, it was made very clear. The complaint that we filed in federal court makes it clear that the Burks got their file from the Department of Children and Families. And in the file are the statements saying their faith is not supportive and neither are they. It's an issue of concern that they attend church regularly and that they serve as musicians in their church. And so because of their Catholic faith, they would look at sexuality and gender in a way that as one person says, doesn't line up with her bias, that her bias goes in a different direction. It was very clear also as well from the Burke's interactions with the state that an inordinate amount of time was spent on how the Burke's practice their faith. And when you consider that many people's faith is what motivates them to foster and adopt children, and that Massachusetts, like other jurisdictions, recruits faith-based families from faith-based organizations, you are really have to wonder why was the discretion that's used to meant to maximize foster parents was turned into a weapon to exclude a loving family from fostering. So, I mean, obviously here, it sounds like in the interview process, they were asking questions about these issues. How else, you know, would they have found this information? Now, do you know what types of questions specifically were being asked of this couple? There was a very long discussion about the Burke's faith and how that interacted with sexual orientation, gender, and a child. And I would say the bottom line takeaway from all of those conversations is the Burks made it very clear that they would love every child who came into their home, that they would see every child as made in God's image and likeness, and that before the child did anything life-altering, they would want to have open conversations with the child. That's what makes the Burks good parents. That's not a reason to exclude them from the system. You know, obviously, this is one anecdotal example right now. And the lawsuit that comes out of this, it'll be very interesting to see where where this goes. But Beckett deals with so many of these of these sorts of cases around the country in Massachusetts and maybe even other locations. How many other families do you think we just don't know about? I mean, are other people facing this same sort of scrutiny? How widespread do you think this sort of issue is right now? This is a national problem. We point out in our complaint, you know, we represented Catholic social services before the U.S. Supreme Court and some loving foster families who've worked, devoted their lives to serving vulnerable children through CSS in Philadelphia. And they got vindicated 9-0 before the court, but the city of Philadelphia was prepared to shut them down simply because the Catholic Church has Catholic beliefs that it brings to foster care. There is a Seventh-day Adventist couple out in Washington state that was prohibited from fostering their own great-granddaughter because hypothetically 10 years from now, that child might want a gender transition. A federal judge appointed by President Obama said that's unconstitutional. In Pennsylvania, there is a family that share their religious beliefs about marriage with a foster child, and the state then tried to take the kids away from them, and a federal court said that's unconstitutional retaliation. In every one of these circumstances, the court is recognizing that no part of the First Amendment gives governments the power to say, you can either participate in public life or you can be religious. You can't be both. That is, as the Supreme Court has said three times over, odious to our Constitution. In in your view, based on your experience, have there been any other issues with as widespread, uh, I guess creating as widespread of sort of a reverberation in the legal system when it comes to adoptions and foster care 
as gender and sexuality? Are there any other issues that have been used in the same way? You know, I think I'm not of, I'm not aware of how of of one, but I will say that it is interesting that a lot of the discretion here that's supposed to be used to maximize foster parents is now being ex used to exclude a loving family. And that's a real tragedy when you have a foster care crisis on your hands, like Massachusetts does. The Boston Globe has reported that children were spending the night in hospitals for days on end because, not because they had to, but because DCF had nowhere else to put them. And apparently in DCF's view, it's better to put them there than it would be to put them with a loving Catholic family. Well, and that seems to be the biggest piece of the puzzle here outside of obviously the complaint itself, the fact that you have children in desperate need of homes, right? And and that to me um, is a very tragic piece of this puzzle. Now, the lawsuit that is filed. What happens next now in the legal process? What can people expect to, to hear or see uh, happen next? So Massachusetts will have an opportunity to respond to what we filed in the coming weeks. And we intend to move this case along expeditiously because the Burke's rights have been violated. It's crystal clear what the law is and they deserve relief. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to bring us through this. We're going to continue to track the case and we'll have you back with more developments as they come. Thank you very much for your time. All right, Billy, thanks for that interview there. And again, this is another one of those troubling times that we've been reporting on where Christians have to find themselves in court just to confirm, yes, indeed, we are allowed to practice the First Amendment here in America. So appreciate you bringing that one, Billy. And that's going to leave us with time here on the pod for one last thing. You know, so often I think we're tempted to, um, myself included, to find a way to pass the buck. Like if, if I mess up, it's somebody else's fault. Or if I fall into sin, it's somebody else's fault. And I think this passage is just such a good, kind of a slap in the face, but also a good reminder. It's James 1, 13 through 14. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away for, by their own evil desires. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, man, what a what a good reminder of of where our heart leads us. Yeah, exactly. And it's God who pulls us out of that. He's the one that helps us and empowers us to resist. So he's doing the exact opposite, right, of, of that. So um, good stuff there. Good spot to leave it on the podcast. And as always, head on over to CBNNews.com and FaithWire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. Lord willing, in that creek don't rise, we will return tomorrow. And hopefully Billy's back too. We'll see you then. God bless.